Great story. Would you join me in just thanking the Lord for a story like that? You know, it really impacts people when we have learned ungrudging generosity, when we really like to give and look for ways to give and look for ways to be generous. It impacts people's lives in a huge way. This is our second week of three in our generosity series. Live generously is the line. It's the admonition that we want you to think about with us. How do I live generously in an age where everyone seems to just want to keep it for themselves? How do I live generously when I know it can impact someone's lives, but it's a challenge for me to be able to get outside my comfort zone in the way of generosity or giving or being selfless with my time or my resources or my money? How do we live differently, in other words? Well, the struggle is real. Let me just tell you, the church at Corinth was struggling with the same issue, and Paul addresses that in his second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians. So take your Bibles, if you would, this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5, where we pick up what we talked about last week, what it means to be a generous individual living, living a life of generosity. And we're using the church at Corinth as a huge example of, of a church that learned generosity but struggled with it at the same time. Last week we defined generosity, and uh, this week we talk about how to battle through all the things that keep us from being generous. Let's stand together as we read God's Word for just a moment. We always stand to uh, honor God's Word, to keep in mind that everything we say needs to be based on the Scripture itself. It, uh, it doesn't just need to come from the mind of an individual. It needs to come from the mouth of God, the Word of God. And so we always begin like that. Chapter 9, verse 5, the three verses of focus that we'll look at today. And we looked at these last week, but today we'll zero in on a couple of key lines here. So in verse 2, after Paul, or after Paul said to the church of Korah, give the way you said you were going to give, there was a huge need at the church at Jerusalem, the mother church, if you will, that began really the, uh, the planting of churches all over. Corinth is one of those church plants. So now Jerusalem is in trouble through persecution, through uh, all kinds of difficulty, and so they need help. Other churches in the area have already given. Corinth says, we're going to give. We're going to make sure that we're generous as well with a bountiful gift, but now they're hesitating. So Paul is writing in this second letter, in part, about those hesitations. So in verse 5, here's what he said. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. This is the promise they made to help in this gift. So that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now that's a key line here because generosity is always affected by covetousness. It says in verse six, now I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful, again, is that Greek word hilaros, which means uh, hilarious. That's how we translate it. But it doesn't mean that we laugh uncontrollably. What it means is we have joy that kind of bubbles up out of us when we give the way we know God wants us to give and we serve the way we know God wants us to serve. Let's ask the Lord for insights today. Father, today we take a moment to pray and pause and ask you to make us sensitive to the words of the Bible today. And Father, help us know where we are in the areas of generosity, where we need to be and what you want to do to get us there, to the place of maturity and growing in this area. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I mean, please be seated if you would. 
Now keep your text open in front of you today, and uh, as you keep it open, I'm gonna go back over a couple of things that we said last week that are very important. First of all, we wanted to find generosity. What does it mean to live generously? What does it mean to be generous? And the definition of generosity for us is this, their willingness to give or share. Their willingness to give or share something that God has given to us, something that we have, and that's in our possession that we are uh, asked to call upon or see an opportunity to give. So the willingness to give or share, it means unselfishness, it means kindness, it means big-heartedness. Generosity means that when I see someone with a, with a need that's great, and I know God has enabled me to meet that need, I'm going to step up and do that. I'm going to do that in a joyful way, in a cheerful way, not in a grudging way. That's why we call this message today ungrudging generosity because we can be at the place where we are grudgingly giving and that's not where we want to be. So generosity really has three issues. We talked about these last week. Those three issues are, first of all, it's a heart issue. You give because you have the heart to do it because God has enabled your heart to grow and mature to the place where you're no longer like a little toddler is when a toddler's growing up and they're very selfish about their toys and their things. They don't like to share with anyone else. But as Christians, as believers, we grow up beyond that selfishness stage and we now are conscious of other people. We have a sense of otherness. We have a sense that there are others out there that may have need of something that we are able to help them with. So that's a heart issue. But it's also a faith issue. Because giving involves knowing that your heavenly Father provided for you for what you have now. And since your heavenly Father provided for you for what you have now, he'll also meet your needs in the future, even if you give some of what you have away. So it's a faith issue. Do I trust God enough to give? Do I trust God enough to serve? Do I trust God enough to devote myself to these things that we're talking about with generosity? And then finally, it's a character issue. God wants us to be at the place where we're reflecting his character. God loves a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver, because God gives God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus gives his own life on the cross that we might be forgiven, that we might be able to walk with him. Jesus said, if you being a, an earthly father know how to give good things to your children, how much more does the heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those who ask? So we have this amazing God who gives in amazing ways and we are called to reflect that character. So it's a, it's a matter of character. Someone that's generous has character, maturity, because they've been influenced by God. So as we began to talk about this, we talked about the stages of giving. Everybody in this room is in one of those stages of giving. Let me give you those five stages of giving that we talked about last week. And really the point of these stages is not to categorize anyone or classify anyone. We're not asking you to indicate what stage you're in. What we're asking you to do is think about the timeline of growing from beginning to extravagant giving. So the first stage is beginning givers. Those who are learning to give. Those who are learning to respond by giving time or giving resources or by giving money or letting your talents be used for something other than self-profit. Beginning givers are very important to the body of Christ because what it says is, is that you've come to Christ and you realize that he is worthy of our worship and he's worthy of anything that we give to help further his goal and his means, what he wants done on planet Earth. Then there is the, from the beginning giver, moving to consistency, a consistent giver. 
A consistent giver is someone that says, not only is it important that I start giving, but it's important that I give regularly, that I give monthly, or I give bi-weekly or bi-monthly, but I regularly give to the Lord. I regularly serve. I regularly offer all the tasks that God has given me. I, I regularly go out of my way to make sure that I see a need. I find a way to help meet it if I don't meet it myself. Consistent givers, incredibly important. Move from beginning to consistency. And then there are what we call tithing givers. Now, a tithing giver is not just someone that gives a tithe of 10% of their income to the church, but, but someone who's realized that God has created margins in our lives. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God says, reserve a margin, a margin of the field, a margin of your time, the Sabbath, the Lord's day, a margin of your income, the tithe, and take that and give it to serving the Lord with. Serve the Lord with that. Give your tithes and offering. Serve for a percentage of time that you have in your life. Tithing givers are those that say, I'm determined to make sure I plan my schedule out and plan my finances out where I am regularly and to a large percentage of my giving going to the Lord. Tithing givers. And then we have what we call expanding givers, those that build on that 10% and say, I really want to do more than that. Whether you've just been gifted with more time or whether you just have the freedom or just see the need. Or maybe God's provided for you an amazing amount of finances. And you're saying, I want to go way beyond that 10%. I want to really give an extravagant amount to the Lord. I want to expand my giving horizons. That happens all the time when we give to the Lord tithes and offerings. And we give to the Lord time and service. But all of a sudden, something comes up. Someone goes to Africa and we want to help them. Someone has a huge need and we want to make impact in their life. So we expand our giving to that. And then extravagant givers are those who give and what, what we would look at and say, that's almost supernatural. They are giving in such a way where I can't fathom that I can do that right now, but someday I'd love to bless someone out that big and that way. Extravagant givers, all are important in the body of Christ. Now, let me give you a stat, a statistic that is true generally of churches everywhere. Generally speaking, 20% of those who worship in the congregation Give 80% of the tithes and offerings, do 80% of the work in the way of service, or 80% of the acts of kindness outside the church, 20% generally do 80%. Now let me ask you, what's wrong with that statistic? Well, everything is wrong with it. It's all wrong, because the reality is all of us have been blessed by God, right? How many of you in this room have never been blessed by God? Raise your hand if you've never been blessed by God. I doubt anybody will raise their hands. How many of you have been blessed by God in your lifetime? Would you raise your hand? It's a chance for us to say, I have been blessed, either financially or spiritually, or someone's poured into my life, or I've got a gift that, that I didn't come by by my own efforts. God just gave that to me. We've been blessed. And because we have, we all ought to sense the opportunity for generosity. So I want to find out where are you on this scale? Beginning, consistent, tithing, expanding, extravagant. And I want you to think about what it means to move to the next level of your giving over the course of these next few weeks. What a challenge. What an exciting journey it really is to be on. Here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced we want to be generous with what God has given us. When I pastored in Tennessee, I followed a guy who had been pastoring for 18 years at that church. His name was Wayne Barber. Wayne was a big old tall guy, 6'8", weighed about 280 pounds, big old 
Bubba is what he was. In fact, that was his nickname, Bubba. He was highly educated. He was well-versed in Greek and an excellent teacher and preacher of God's word. Few people knew the original language like Wayne Barber knew it, but he really was a Bubba and his nickname was that. He would say things that you uh, would laugh at but never forget. And he used to say things like this as the offering was taken in the church service. He would say, now I want you to stand up and we're gonna pray for the church offering. And he said, after we pray, I want you to reach into the pocket of the person next to you and pull out their wallet and give like you always wanted to give. <laughs> and his point of course was, we all wanna be generous and we all wanna make a huge impact. We just don't want it to come out of our bottom line if possible. I wanna tell you today, I wanna appeal to something that I believe is in every one of us. The desire for generosity, I think, is in every person. Now, we're not moving towards an offering. I'm not asking you to count your money because at some point down the road, we're going to have an offering that's special in some way because that's not what we're planning today and that's not what we're talking about. I want you to grow in generosity because I want you to grow in every part of your Christian life. I want you to grow in faith. I want you to grow in character. I want you to grow in the ability to use your spiritual gifts as God has called you to. I want you to grow in the way you serve with your time and your energy and your effort. I want you to grow in your witness to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to grow in your generosity, all of it. Paul said to the Corinthians, just as you have excelled in your gifts and in your zeal and in your worship, and in every way excel also in this bountiful gift. I want you to mature. I want us all to grow. And into that great calling of generosity enters into what I call a huge hurdle, the ugly head of sin and covetousness. The word covetousness was in our text. It was affecting Corinth. And Frankly, covetousness affects our generosity. It keeps us from making a difference. It keeps us from blessing others and honoring God. What, what is covetousness? John Piper defines covetousness in this way. He said, covetousness is desiring something so much you lose your contentment in God. In other words, it's the opposite of contentment. Instead, being always stirred up for more and seeking it in many places and things, and not being satisfied with anything God has given you. And when you really begin to think about what it means to covet something, you realize I have to have more in order to be satisfied instead of saying, God, I am satisfied in you. As we deal with that phrase over these next few moments, you're gonna see how it interferes with us in so many different ways. For example, in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, God first brings up the subject of coveting. It's in the Ten Commandments. Many of you know those Ten Commandments by heart. This one is a little long. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet. You shall not want to have your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not covet. And one of the reasons God includes that in his Ten Commandments is because it's such a huge issue for us. Because all of us want for ourselves, but the epitome of selfless living is to be able to say, I don't want or need anything my neighbor has. I can find my contentment in God himself. 
When you get to the New Testament, you find this word being brought up a lot. Often it's used as the word greed, other times covetousness or coveting. But, but here's a list, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and he says this. He says, I want certain things not to be even named among the church of those who follow Jesus. And in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, but immorality or any impurity or greed should not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Now, normally, here's what we think. We think, oh, okay, those, those big moral sins that God so clearly speaks again, we should really shy away from that. But he doesn't really mind if I covet my neighbor's things. He doesn't really mind if I'm materialistic or if I'm really selfish when it comes to all the things that I have. He doesn't mind that. But the Bible says that these are on the same plane. It's all about living for self. Self-gratification, self-contentment, self-desire. And the goal that Christ has in our life is that we don't live for ourselves. We don't live to get, but we live to give. That's the heart of it. Generosity is learning to live to give. Learning to live to bless. Learning to live to impact someone else's life. It doesn't mean we don't take care of our own needs. It means that we balance all that in light of what God is doing in our lives. And here's what's going to happen. You're either going to grow in generosity or you're going to grow in covetousness. You're going to grow in selflessness or you're going to grow in selfishness. And it's a constant battle that we all face in a materialistic world. You and I live in a materialistic world, don't we? I mean, everywhere we go, everything we see, watching television, driving down the highway, looking at the billboards, we see materialism all around us. And materialism is not bad in and of itself. It's just when it dominates us, that's when it's bad. When we begin to monopolize our life, our time, our desires on things, instead of finding contentment in God. And so the whole heart of this is that we can only be generous when we learn to overcome the selfishness. So how do we know where we are? Well, let me give you three things today that come out of this text because the church at Corinth was struggling with generosity. And I'm gonna share with you how Paul pointed out their weakness and how we can see our own. Let's notice a couple of things here. First of all, we know we struggle with generosity. We know we're losing the battle when we lack priority in giving, when we lack priority in giving. Now, where did I get this idea? Out of verse five. Because in verse 5, Paul says, so that the same, that is that promise, previous promised bountiful gift would be ready as a bountiful gift. So what had happened here was very clear. You were ready to bless, Paul said, but now you're pulling back. When you heard of the need and you realized that God could use you to help meet that need, you made the promise that you were going to be ready to bless, ready to give. There was going to be a bountiful gift because the need was big. And God moved in your heart, but since that time has passed, you've weakened on that resolve. And now I'm sending someone to remind you how important it is to follow through with your generosity. That often happens to us, doesn't it? We desire to be generous, we want to be generous, but then we move back from that generosity. Let's look at the Bible here a couple of places. Chapter eight of 2 Corinthians and verse 11 shows the background of this. And I want to remind you one more time. Verse 11, but now finish doing it also, he says, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, that is your generosity, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. 
And then chapter nine, verse five, the verse that we just looked at again, I thought it necessary to send the brethren that they would go ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. I want them to help you get ready because it's so important. And here's what Paul was saying, and it connects with all of us. It connects with me and others. You saw the need, your heart was moved, but then something else moved your heart away. How many times has that happened to us? Time passes, the need comes and goes, something else gets our attention and we began to forget about that. And like any other sin of omission, our lack of generosity creeps up on us and suddenly we realize that we have no priority to give our time or our resources or our money. But generosity has to become a priority. It has to be a place in our life and a time and a decision in our life where we say, this is just the way I'm going to live. I'm not gonna let the emotional need of a moment only affect me. I'm going to live the life of generosity as a lifestyle and as a habit. It has to become a priority. It was not yet a priority for Corinth. They needed reminders. My mom passed away about 20 years ago and my mom was one of the most generous people I've ever known. I mean, she taught me generosity. Now, a mom naturally gives and gives and gives and gives. I don't know a mom that doesn't do that, but I watched my mom not only do that in the family, I watched her do that outside the family. And I I wasn't raised with a lot of money. My dad was a Baptist pastor in Oklahoma small town in an era where they didn't pay them hardly any salary at all. Then he moved to Provo, Utah, and they paid him even less salary in Mormon country to be a Baptist pastor in Provo, Utah. They never had much money, but my mom's generosity wasn't bound by how much income they had. It was important to her. It was important to her to give, to serve, to carve out a time in her life where she regularly impacted other people's lives. Sometimes that was during seasonal holidays. Sometimes that was with her own children. I remember going to Southwestern Seminary. I'd graduated from college. My wife and I had gotten married the year before. We were in Fort Worth and living on our own and things were tight. And as tight as they were, I didn't want any help from my parents. I remember my mom would try to help. She would send, uh, you know, the envelopes with the $20 bills in them from Provo, Utah, from where they live. And I would say, I'm not going to cash the checks that you send. And she would send cash. And I'd say, I don't want your money. I'd say on the phone call, I don't want your money. Don't need your money. Y'all need it. I don't want it. I'm fine. We'll make it. And she would say this to me, you are robbing me of a blessing. I am blessed by being generous. I am blessed by helping you. Don't hold back the blessing I get. It's part of my life. It's part of who I am. And so I started accepting the $20 bills that my mom sent me, not because she was my mom, but because it meant so much to her to bless. And I see that happening all the time in the family and out of families. You see, generosity must become a priority in our life because it's part of our journey, part of our growth. It's part of our maturity to say, I live to bless others. God has provided for me. I'm going to live to bless others. So we know we struggle when we lack priority. Secondly, we know we struggle with generosity when we always lust for more. We always want more. Remember the word covet and covetousness? It really is an interesting Greek word. I remember a conversation with Spiro Zodiades, my Greek mentor, for seven years, and, and we would always break down the original meanings of the words, and he would expect me to memorize them. And so I've memorized this word covet very, very handily. 
Uh, it really is a compound word, two different words. It means more and to have. So the idea of the word covenant is a mindset that says I must have more. To covet is to want more, to lust for more, to desire more. No matter how much we have, we want more. Did you know that covetousness is not a sin that only takes place in those who are of moderate income? It's also a sin that happens in those that are of amazing income. It doesn't matter how much we have. The idea of coveting is we always want more. Go back to the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter who our spouse is, we always want someone else. It doesn't matter what our neighbor's house is like, we want more. It doesn't matter about their animals even in that day and time, we always want them, we want more because we find our satisfaction in having more. We lust for more and when we lust for more, it will impact our ability to be generous. You know what Jesus said about this idea of possessions? In the Gospel of Luke, in verse 12, here's what he said. He said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Covetousness is a form of greed. He said, beware, it's a big deal. It's something that can trip anyone up. And then he says, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Even if you had more, even if your desire, your coveting more were to bring you more, you still wouldn't be anybody different than you were before you had it. A new car won't make you a better person. A new house won't make you any better. A bigger income, a better job won't make you any more than you are now. Your life does not consist of what you have. Aren't you glad about that? Somebody say amen. Doesn't matter if you have a brand new car, if it's broken down, God sees you the same. It doesn't matter where you live, in a big house or a small house, a new one or an old one, whether you have new clothes or old clothes, doesn't matter. Your life does not consist of those things. And since it doesn't, why do we work so hard to get more? Jesus said, I want you to know your value is in your relationship with me. And you can be content and satisfied in that relationship with me like nothing else on earth can bring you contentment and satisfaction. Let me ask you to let that sink in for just a few minutes because Corinth was struggling in that area. They wanted more. Now I'm always kind of going through when I preach a series of messages, whether it's marriage or money or whatever it is, I always seem to live through the challenges of those messages. The preacher would tell you he can't preach it without also having to live through it. If I'm preaching on marriage, I'm facing the biggest marriage challenges, even though I've been 40 years married. If I'm preaching on giving, I'm always challenged by that. If I'm preaching on uh, what I'm talking about today, generosity, then I'm challenged by that. And there's some things that God has used to remind me of, some balance keepers in my life because we do have a certain amount of time and a certain amount of money and a certain amount of energy and so forth. And so we have to balance it well. We must keep some to live. So how do I know I'm keeping in balance? Let me give you three statements that help me. First of all, when I remember that the thrill of having more fades quickly, I know I'm in balance. And when I forget that the thrill of having more fades quickly, I'm out of balance. You know what it's like to want something more 
and to really emotionally be into that, I really want it bad. I want a new phone. I must have a new phone. This phone that was perfectly adequate yesterday is horrible today. I must have a new one. I've got to have it now. I'll go wait in line for three days for it. I'll spend a crazy amount of money for it. And when I get it, within two days, that thrill is gone. The thrill of having more fades quickly. It's important that we understand that because when we see that perspective, it doesn't mean we shouldn't purchase new things. It means don't find your hope in it. Don't, don't sacrifice to do something like that thinking the thrill is going to be there. It will not bring contentment. And so one balance keeper for me is to remember the thrill of having more fates quickly. A second thing that helps keep me in balance is that when I'm unable to maintain my level of, ge- of generosity, I must adjust other spending. I must adjust to other spending. I need to remember that. Because what God has called me to do in the way of generosity is far more important than any future thing I might acquire. And so when I remember that I must not adjust my generosity level, in fact, that's a spiritual thing. I don't want to compromise anything else in my life. I certainly don't want to compromise my level of generosity just because I need something else. And so I need to keep that in mind that something else can go, but generosity needs to stay. The third balance keeper in my personal life is that I need to remember that my father will always be my security and I need not fear giving something away because he will take care of me in the end. Your bank account is not an indicator of your security. That bank account can disappear tomorrow. It can disappear tomorrow, but your security, the heavenly father will never disappear. God the Father will always be your Father. He will always take care of you. You are not an orphan. Jesus did not leave you alone. He left the Holy Spirit. And God the Father is your Father. And where He is, His provision is in every case. The balance keeper is that I keep my mind upon that. And I realize He is my security. Let me just say this. When we protect money that God wants spent, when we protect time that God wants invested, It borders on idolatry. I find my security in my bank account. I find my security in my self-time. I find my security in anything I have. It borders on idolatry because then I may say no to God to keep that thing. The Corinthians were in danger of doing that and that's how we know they were in danger of doing that. But your heavenly father will never fail to provide what you give away that he's caused you to give away. Amen? And then finally... We lose perspective. Verse seven, they had lost perspective. He said, I don't want you to give grudgingly or under compulsion because God gives, or God loves a cheerful giver. Now what God is saying here in this text is that the word grudging means grief. We're pained when we give if we don't understand the power of it. And again, God's desire is that we reflect his character and his generosity. So we rejoice to give because it is reflecting our father's generosity itself. Let me give you some instead ofs for a moment. Instead of lacking priority, we can make giving and generosity a high priority in our lives. We can look for opportunities to give and make impact, to serve and make impact. Instead of lusting for more, we can be content with what we have. Instead of losing perspective, we can gain eternal perspective for all that God has given us. And that's my admonition to you today. And I want to share some things with you because this this is kind of a, a special series of messages in part because 
We, we spend so much time growing in every other area of our lives. Growing in the knowledge of the Word of God, growing in our prayer life, growing in our marriage, growing in relationship, growing in our witness, growing and pouring our lives into other people, but we don't spend as much time on this idea of generosity. So I have some specific prayers I'm praying over these three weeks, three prayers for us as a congregation and for us as individuals. Let me give you those three things I'm praying for. First of all, I'm praying that we can live to bless those around us. I'm praying that you can live to bless those around you, that, that you would look at your time, your talent, your resources, your money, and say, ask God, God, how can I bless those around me in the name of Jesus? How can I do that? What do you want me to do? I'm praying that we can live to bless those around us. I'm very, very thankful for this church. This church is 115 years old. 115 years old. Not the buildings and not the people. I don't think anybody's in this room that was there 115 years ago. I don't think. But 115 years of serving God, impacting community, making a difference, blessing all those around them. I learned this statistic last week, so I want to share it with you again. Over the last 10 years, this church has given more than $16 million to missions over the last 10 years. Wow. $16 million. That's pouring money into our community, pouring money into the gospel witness around the world, living to bless others, in other words, living so that we together can make maximum impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ and impacting other lives. Live to bless those around us. Number two, that we can see the difference generosity makes. My prayer, my heart is that you can see where your giving and your generosity impacts people's lives. We saw the video of Ashley Garcia and uh, her husband, of course, Greg, and then uh, little Audrey, little Audrey. Think about this, over the next few years, Audrey will go through our preschool ministry and somebody will invest time and energy and effort to regularly serve in our preschool and teach her the Word of God on Sundays when she's here. And that'll, of course, be supported by her parents at home. And then when she becomes a child in the children's area of our ministry, there'll be children's workers, children's teachers who will be there to teach her the Word of God as well, support everything that she's heard at home and in preschool. When she becomes a student in student ministry, someone will be there to serve, to invest in her life. She grows up and becomes a single young girl and perhaps down the road marries someone, investment in her life. People will pour into her. That's generosity. And it's generosity that we can see. We can see lives change. My prayer for you is that we can see the difference generosity makes. And then finally, my prayer is that we can have the thrill of honoring God. Have the thrill of honoring God. Last week I shared with you this picture, the picture of a pecan tree. You see, back when I was about 12 years old, my dad encouraged me to plant pecans on a 10-acre tract of land. I planted 100 pecan trees. And a few years later, those 100 pecan trees were matured several years down the road. 100 feet tall now, 75 feet wide. And these trees each yield hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of pecans every year. Unfortunately, I don't still own that 10 acres. But I have the thrill of knowing I planted those seeds and God let them grow up in that soil and with rain and sunshine and God gave the increase. When I drive by that property, there's something inside of me that says, man, I was involved in that. And I see the difference it made. Even if it's a tree that I don't own anymore, somebody's being blessed as a result of that. When you serve the Lord, 
that happens and you can see it. Somebody's life has changed. Some child knows more about Jesus. Some neighbor comes to faith in Christ or just knows the generosity of God's people or the love of God because you were generous, because you invested, because you saw the priority of it and you have the thrill of honoring God with all you have with all you are. I want that for you. I want it for you because one day we're going to stand before Christ in heaven and when all is said and done on planet earth and when our time is up, we'll hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Everything I gave you, you took and with balance you lived and invested and blessed. I want that for you and you want that for you. Live the life of generosity, ungrudging generosity. Ask God, God, help me grow in generosity. I trust you with what you're gonna do. Would you bow together for just a moment? Let me ask you the question as our prayer counselors come to the front today. Where are you on that generosity scale? Are you a beginning giver? Are you a consistent giver? Are you a tithing giver? Are you an expanding giver? Are you an extravagant giver? Where are you? Where do you need to be? In just a moment, I'm going to uh, close in a word of prayer. And as soon as our closing prayer, a couple of things going to happen. One is I'll be inviting all those who are uh, in our service and our guests today to come join me in our guest reception room just outside the center exit doors across the hallway. I'd love to visit with you for a few moments. And uh, it's important to me to be able to say hi to you personally. Secondly, I would encourage you to come forward at the conclusion of this prayer. And it may be you need a decision. I told you about three invitations today. The invitation to worship, the invitation to pray, and the invitation to make a decision. Based on God's Word today, what decision do you need to make today? And then let me just say this. As you leave today, you're going to be picking up a piece of paper, and that piece of paper will announce a special business meeting on the 19th. It's a very spiritual decision that we have to make. And that decision involved, will we plant a satellite in Northwest Tarrant County? And I want to encourage you that that's on the 19th, not the 12th. This notice will help serve as information with that. But it is not just a logistical decision. It is truly a spiritual decision. Make that part of your prayers. Stand with me if you would as we pray. Father, today I thank you so much for the call to be generous. Thank you for the generosity of so many in this building today who have lived and served in so many ways. Thank you for those that are on some part of this journey. And I ask you today to help us to learn to live generously, to impact people around us, Lord. Only you can do that for us. God, we need you to show us how to do that, to to grow us in that area. And then, Lord, help us to be sensitive to what we should or should not do. But, Lord, in all this, We know that you love a cheerful giver because it's reflecting your heart. Help us to do that well. I ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.